It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are here. All natural, no pesticides, no artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, Jessica Walliser here today. Doug has decided to hit the road with the Stones. He'll be back in November. No, I'm just kidding. Doug is actually taking a week off, but Jessica is here. So you folks need to get on the phone right away. We'd like to get to all of your questions ASAP. Uh, That number is 866-391-1020. And obviously, because of some great sponsors, we have that gift certificate, the top and the bottom of the hour to make available to you. So if you're the 10th caller right now at 412-922-1020, you could win yourself an amazing $25 gift certificate from Sorgles out in Wexford. So on that note, let's get started. And again, wide open gardening. It's all about the organic gardeners with Jessica Wallace here until 8 a.m., 866-391-1020. And if the phones are busy, uh, you just would rather send it via the internet, kdkradio.com, dollar bank, instant access, click on it. Type in your question, hit send, and I'll get it to Jessica Walliser. Good morning, Jess. Good morning. I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm sorry that Doug's not here, but we have plenty to talk about, don't we, Rob? Yes, we do. We always do. Let's give a compliment to the Master Gardeners of Penn State. I was at an extremely long red light the other night coming off of 376 in the town that I live in, that Manaka Center Township area, and I had a lot of time to focus on that little island. My goodness, what incredible work they do. They do indeed. And not just on that island, but also with lots of other volunteer opportunities. They work in school gardens across our region. Um, They do many incredible works and projects. I mean, master gardeners across this country have done some amazing work. Some of them do prison gardens. Some of them do gardens at orphanages. Some of them do zoo gardens where they grow the food for the animals at the zoo. I mean, there's just a million different projects that Master Gardeners have their hands in and are the the ones that we mostly see, obviously, are the gardens that they they plant throughout our western Pennsylvania region, but they really do some amazing work. So as I mentioned earlier, lots to talk about today. We're going to be joined by Dick Till from Davy Tree later to talk about um, insects and diseases of trees. Um, And this year we happen to be noticing lots of different insects and diseases, not just on our trees, but across our gardens as a whole, um, because of all the rain that we've had in our region, there's just been a massive amount of fungal issues that we're all dealing with. Uh, powdery mildew in particular is very bad on even varieties of Monarda and flocks at my house that are supposed to be powdery mildew resistant and that I've never had powdery mildew on before. They're on this year. So, uh, and it's because of all the moisture that's in our air and that's uh, just been falling from the sky seemingly endlessly um, this summer. The, the, I guess the good news about powdery mildew, um, it makes your, the leaves look like they're covered in talcum powder on certain plants. And the good news about it is it's largely an aesthetic issue. It makes the plants look not so hot uh, for a couple of weeks, but for the most part, uh, it doesn't really cause significant damage to plant. It might cause some defoliation, but the plant will come back next year. If we have a drier season next year, it will be just fine. Just because you had powdery mildew this year on a plant doesn't mean it's automatically going to return next year. So it's really not one to worry about. Uh, Boltritis has been particularly bad on my annuals this year, especially in my containers. Usually, you know, boltritis throughout the summer is not an issue because in containers, they dry out a little bit more quickly than the ground does. And so, you know, the dry conditions keep Boltritis at bay. But this fungal pathogen loves all this wet weather. And I was just looking at one of my containers last night in which I have a bonfire begonia, which is one of Doug and my most favorite begonias for summer containers. It's sort of like a cascading begonia. And the entire thing is just 
flop to the ground and the stems are black at the base of the plant and it's just covered in botrytis and it looks like slimy mold. You can actually see some little spores on the base of the plant and I'm going to have to get rid of that plant before those spores spread to my other plants. So it's another common pathogen. Again, this year has just been crazy for fungal issues and there's very little you can do about it when we have this kind of wet conditions. Listen, they love the wet. No doubt you are the go-to person. You're the uh, graduated from Penn State horticulturist, uh, all knowing when it comes to bugs. Talking about the Japanese beetle a lot of late and on True Value Show here at times. Give me the facts behind the Japanese beetle. Yeah, so they were actually, um, they're, they're Japanese beetles, so they're not native here. They're native to Asia. Uh, they were introduced here in the early 1900s through the nursery trade, probably, is how we think they got here. Um, that was before really goods were, a lot of goods were exchanged. So when things like that happened, they usually happened through the nursery trade. Nowadays, they come in on various packing materials and goods as they're shipped overseas. So um, they came in probably in their larval state, which is the, the little white C-shaped grub that you find often feeding under your uh, turf grass, under the, in the on the roots of your grass. Um, you know, the deal about Japanese beetles, when they first got here, they were just like the brown marmorated stink bugs were the first few years they got here. There was just massive amounts of them because they had no natural predators, right? So so their population really flourished. Now they've been here since the early 1900s. They do have some predators eating them. Yes, we have years where Japanese beetles are pretty dramatic and pretty severe, but for the most part, their, their population is really tempered. Where we really see problems with them are in areas where lawns are constantly irrigated because they need to have a lot of moisture when the eggs are laid. The females lay the eggs throughout the late summer. And if the ground is left to dry out and our grass is left to go dormant like it's supposed to, a lot of those Japanese beetle eggs will die and they will not survive. When you constantly irrigate your grass, you're creating a beautiful, perfect environment for those Japanese beetles, right? It's a terrible, vicious cycle that we get. We irrigate, we want green grass, but it's supposed to be brown in the heat of summer, right? So when we see the adult Japanese beetles on our plants, the number one thing to do is not panic. Japanese beetles, even in severe cases, are not going to kill your plant. Again, they might make it look not so good for a couple of weeks, but they're not going to kill the plant. I have never seen a Japanese beetle infestation kill a plant. Even if it defoliates the plant, the plant will come back next year and it will be just fine. Um, I actually, the biggest problem I have with them at my house is on my blueberries because they attack the fruits and that makes me mad, right? I don't mind if they're on my ornamental plants, but on my food plants, I have a problem with that. So what I do is actually, I interplant my blueberries with an annual called Kiss Me Over the Garden Gate which is a Japanese, uh, an Asian plant. And Kiss Me Over the Garden Gate is easy to grow from seed. I grow it in between my blueberry bushes and they are much more attracted to that plant than they are my blueberry bushes. So I almost plant those as like a sacrificial plant and the Japanese beetles collect on those and then they leave my blueberries alone. I don't have to spray anything. If I feel like it, I can go out and knock them into a jar of soapy water to get rid of them. But for the most part, I just use those sacrificial plants. That's what they go to first and foremost in my garden and everything else is just left. 
See, here's the amazing thing, and you've said this for years. Mother Nature knows what Mother Nature is doing, you know, and here we are trying to keep our grass alive, and I've said to you many times, because through the years, this show, the True Value Home Improvement Show, other shows that I've done here through the years, my grass is dying, what do I do? The bottom line is, you just got to let nature take its course, and you've said that for years. Right, right? it's cyclical. I mean, you know, our grass, the grasses, varieties that we grow around here do go dormant in the heat of summer, and especially when we have dry, and if you're, now we're not having that issue, because we have so much rain this year but if it starts to dry out and the lawn goes brown it's it's not panic worthy it's actually you should be like yay now i'm not going to have as bad japanese beetles right it's always the positive see folks you got to bring these questions to the expert it's that simple (laughs) hey the winner is eric in east pittsburgh by the way too here's something else so i'm out with ben zuppi who happens to be at janoski's running their wonderful greenhouse and this is something that i never knew in all the years the 30 plus years that i've known the janoski's this is the time of year you want to get into your nurseries because there's a lot of great savings because the season is kind of heading in that past the second half, you know, the home stretch. So whether it's Sorgles or all of the people that we talk about, this is a great time to go out and visit and spend a little money because you can get great savings. You really can. And it's for me, it's a good time to go out. Like, for example, that begonia that died in my container. I will go out and I'll buy some plants to spruce up my pots because sometimes things die. Sometimes they don't work out as well as you thought they were going to. And it's it's okay to go out and replace those plants. Or you might want to choose something that really comes into its prime later on in the season so that you get color and interest in the garden throughout the fall. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. Dick Till, Davy Trees, Talking Trees in just about 20 minutes with Jessica Wallace or Doug off today, but it's time to go to the phones. First stop, Monroeville, here's Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Welcome to KDKA Radio, The Organic Gardeners. Good morning. Good morning. Um, my Siberian iris I planted years ago finally bloomed this year for the first time. And the fronds, though, are falling all over my other perennials. Can I give it a haircut? You can, yeah. And those Siberian iris, because their their leaves are so slender and kind of flimsy, they tend to do that. So what I usually do is around this time of year, I will cut them back by half. So cut them down to half of their height. Um, that way you're not limiting, you know, restricting the photosynthesis to help the plant for next year. But you're, then you're not having them flop all over the garden either. Perfect. My second question. I was told that eggs like chicken's eggs, if they float in water, don't eat it, it's bad. Do you know anything about that since you raised chickens? Well, you know, I'm not going to say this as positive. I'd want you to do a little more research. But as I remember reading a long time ago, I think I'm correct, um, the fresh eggs, really fresh eggs will float because there's more air trapped inside of them, or is it the opposite? You know, Sandy, I'm going to have to say I don't know on this one, and I'm going to tell you to do a little bit more research on that, but I'm going to send you to my friend Lisa's website. She has a website called Fresh Eggs Daily, and her name is Lisa Steele. She's a she's a TV show up in Maine, and she knows all about eggs, so if you go to her website, you'll be able to find that information out, and it will be a trustworthy source. Uh, okay, thank you so much. All right, thanks, Sandy. Uh, listen, only in as soon America. as I said it, I was like, "Oh, wait, it could be the opposite of that." I don't want to. I don't want to tell well, her a truth that's not a truth. Melinda's actually writing a story on that right now because that's the first time that's ever happened to you. I think on this show, <laughs> I just don't know. Well, that's not a gardening question, right? I know, I know. So I'm like, "Ooh, I don't want to get bad the information." The most fascinating is that your friend is hosting a TV show and she knows all about eggs. That's yep. pretty cool. Yep, she does. She's pretty cool. Fresh Eggs Daily. So I think it's FreshEggsDaily.com, actually. So there's hope for me, man. There you go. There's uh, always hope for you, uh, Rob. All right. Uh, <laughs> but you can't put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> Let's go now to um, Debbie North Hills. Up next for Jessica Wallace of the Organic Gardeners. Good morning. 
Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Jessica, I have a question. I have uh, cucumber bugs on my yellow squash, mm-hmm. and I haven't had a single squash yet. They grow so big, and then they die. Um, I'm wondering what I can do to get rid of these things. Okay, so you say cucumber bugs. So uh, does, are they little beetles with stripes or spots, or are they larger yes. and brown? Nope. Nope, nope. They're little. With, okay. uh, they're yellow with black stripes. So okay. I, I know that it's the cucumber. Yep. Striped cucumber beetle. Yeah. So a lot of times people describe a squash bug as a cucumber bug, even though there's cucumber beetle and then there's squash bug, right? They're two very different insects. So you've got the cucumber beetle, the striped cucumber beetle. There's also a spotted yes. species of it. Right. So for the most part, those on zucchini plants in particular, those guys actually are good pollinators. Um, they do nibble the foliage. They can transmit bacterial wilt. That's more common though in cucumbers than it is in squash, summer squash and winter squash. So I'm, okay. I'm thinking, does your whole plant, when you say they start to grow and then they die, does, are you talking each squash dies or the whole plant dies? The squash dies. The squash dies. So that's typically, yeah, and, yep, go ahead. And, and now my, the leaves um, are drying out, like they turn yellow and then they get spiny looking and yeah. the, the, plant, the plants are just dying. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's sad. Okay, so you probably have a number of different issues going on here and probably none of them are related to the cucumber beetle, okay? So number one, all this rain we've been having, sometimes the fruit will actually rot on the vine when it's allowed to sit wet overnight and and it's been so wet in the evenings and so much rain. There's not a lot at this time we can do over it unless you want to put a little umbrella up over your plant. Um, also, that can happen with poor pollination. So if you don't have enough bees around to pollinate those blossoms, the fruit will partially form and then it will start to kind of rot at one end or it'll be really like uh, stunted on one end. And that can be a sign of poor pollination. So I recommend going out in the morning and hand pollinating, moving the pollen from the male flower to the female flower, which will help with that. Um, And the other thing, it sounds like you might have some squash vine borers going on there. They will cause the leaves to slowly die back and then the whole vine to die back over the course of a week or two. Um, And and that's really, they, they, uh, it's a little tiny day flying moth. I say little tiny, it's actually pretty big. Day flying moth that lays an egg at the base of the plant. And then the larva, which is sort of like a white, grubby caterpillar, go it, okay. in the inside of the stem. So you can take like a razor blade and slice open the stem vertically, like along the length of the stem, and look in there and squish any um, squash vine borers that you find. And then you can just kind of like tape it back together again, and it will actually be fine. You can get rid of the squash vine borers that way. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck. Okay, about a minute to the break. What are we going to be doing with uh, Mr. Till? Oh, we're going to be talking with the, uh, Dick Till from Davy Tree here at the uh, after the news break about insects and diseases of trees. And um, right now, I know at my house, I'm seeing lots of issues. Um, we've got some cicada damage to deal with. And I'm also seeing some other pests that are coming on some of my trees. And I'm just wondering, are they things I should worry about or are there things that you know, are not really worth the worry. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him. I have lots of questions for Dick today. Are the cicada gone until another day, 17 years from now? They are, yeah. No more buzzing. Thank goodness. They were quite loud at my house. Um, For me, what I've noticed, Beaver County seems to have borne the brunt of it. And then obviously Western Allegheny County as well. 
Uh, and it was a very dramatic couple of weeks at my house with all these cicadas. And now they're gone. No more buzz in the air. Another 17 years uh, we have to wait. But those are already starting to make their climb. So they're hoping that they can get here in 17 years. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Dick Till talking trees, Davy trees with Jessica. And if you'd like to join her today, 866-391-1020. A few lines available. Or Dollar Bank, Instant Access, KDKRadio.com. Doug is off. Back with us next week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Organic Gardeners on KDKA Radio. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, let's take the 10th caller right now. That person is going to win a $25 gift certificate from the good folks out in Clinton, Pennsylvania, Janoski's Farm Market, Farm Market Expansion, Greenhouse and Garden Center, and Old Country Restaurant. 10th caller, 412-922-1020. And now it's time for Talking Trees, a service of the Davy Tree Expert Company. And today we have arborist Dick Till with us uh, from the Davy Tree Expert Company. And we are going to talk about tree diseases and pests. And boy, oh boy, do we have a bucket full to talk about today. Yep. <clears throat> this has been a banner year for uh, since we didn't have any late frosts or freezes. Uh, the plants have gone crazy, putting on all kind of new growth and a lot of insects and diseases like that new succulent growth. And, you know, we're seeing the um, lace bugs are starting to come out on azaleas and rhododendrons and the scales that are on uh, pachysandra and the ground cover euonymus. And uh, then the leaf eaters like the jab beetles are out and the bagworms are starting now. So, so let, let's backtrack a little bit because I want to talk about some of these that you just mentioned. So you mentioned okay. the lace bugs on azaleas and rhododendrons. So what does their damage look like? Well, what they do is they feed on the underside of the leaf and they have uh, piercing, sucking mouth parts. So from the upper surface of the leaf, you'll see little white dots, little white stipples, and that's from them feeding underneath. So if you want to get them off of there, even if you're just spraying water to knock them off you got to shoot up underneath the leaf to blast them off of there so sometimes i know when you flip the leaves over because because it might look like the little white spots on the top and then you flip the leaves over and you see also little black like speckles on the bottom of the leaf yeah that's what comes out of the that's our excrement (laughs) right so those are signs of that and they're particularly on rhododendrons and azaleas right you don't see them on too many other plants uh pieris okay yep and there are different other strains that will get on trees too like on linden trees and cherry trees a lot of black cherries get lace bugs okay okay but uh, again they're not uh, they're not fatal it's like we were talking about the jab beetles eating the plants as long as there's green and they're photosynthesizing food for the roots there, you know, the leaves are still doing their job, even though they're not very yeah. appealing. So they make the plant not, like I said before, not look so hot, but right. it's not going to really kill the plant. Exactly. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So um, the other one we talked about during the break here that I was concerned about at my house, um, I'm seeing a lot of the locust trees. Yeah. They are looking like they're fried. Yeah. They What's have going on? Leaf miners, which actually... Uh, the their little teeny tiny larvae look like little miniature grubs. They feed in between the upper and lower surface of the leaf, and they mine out all the mesophyll in the middle of the leaf, so the leaf doesn't have any moisture in it, you know, to produce the photosynthate. And when on a hot summer day when the sun's shining, it just dries them out and they turn brown. But those locust trees are pretty tough. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not typically fatal with those, so it's really nothing people need to worry about, right? No, it's just more of a nuisance, you know, when you have leaves falling this time of year and you're 
cleaning up leaves. Yeah, people panic, right? When they're oh, like, yeah. oh, the leaves are supposed to still be on the trees. Why are they falling? So there's usually something going on, but probably more often than not, it's not something that's fatal, right? Right. Okay. Not All right. And unless you get bores, you know, like the uh, emerald ash bores. Um, there's some longhorn beetles that are out now, and they get into weakened trees. And that's one of the problems with all this rain. When the, the roots are soaked, the roots aren't working efficiently. You know, roots need oxygen to do their job properly. Mm-hmm. So when the trees are in a weakened condition, uh, that's when all the different kind of bores can get in. And if you got bores, a lot of times that'll do them in. Yeah, that's more of a problem, I think, than the leaf-eating pests right. are. It's like the bores, and you can't, number one, you can't see them. So you can't see how much damage they're causing, right? right. And number two, they really can feed on all that tissue underneath the bark and just cut off a nutrient and water source. And that's yeah. it, it for the tree then. And like you said, you don't even know that's going on. Usually by the time people notice it and give us a call, it's already too late. Yeah. And I know sometimes borer damage can look like some pathogens, right? So there's some wilts and things that can, you know, also cause similar symptoms, right? Yeah. Uh, there's another one we're seeing a lot this year is verticillium wilt, which is a soil-borne fungus. And um, it gets into the vascular system of the trees and Japanese uh, maples, smoke bushes, um, some ornamental trees. Well... It also gets in sugar maples, which is a, a scary one. Mm-hmm. But uh, when the leaves start wilting, you know, turning brown and they're still hanging on the tree, you know, that's be time to give us a call and see what's going on there. And does that tend to happen like to an isolated, like one branch at a time? It's, or is it like the overall, the whole tree? Yeah, a lot of times you'll see it starting with one branch, but then once it goes through the whole vascular system, then you can see the whole tree wilting and dying back. Mm-hmm. And is that, you, that's a, I've always wondered this about verticillium wilt. Is it, so is it housed in the soil so that if you had a plant that died from it, should you not plant that same species of plant in that same spot? Yeah. Yeah. If okay. it's a, a plant that's susceptible to it, you don't want to put that in there. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's good. And you, um, you also mentioned Briefly, when we're talking about pests, bagworms. Right. Tell me about those. Yeah, the bagworms are starting right now. Well, actually, they've been out for a little while. And they can get on any plant, but uh, most of the time you see them on evergreens like uh, arborvitaes and junipers, even spruce trees. And when they start out, it's just a little teeny tiny bag, you know, less than a quarter of an inch. And they keep building the bag bigger as they get bigger. And uh, most people don't even realize what they are until, again, when it starts to get late in the infestation, you'll see the tops dying back and the needles are disappearing and they don't realize that they're actually being eaten by these little bagworms. And the bags themselves actually look a little bit like cones, like the pine cones, and so they're they're camouflaged. Right. Yeah, they, they droop down and they're actually made out of the the plant material that the insects are eating, that's what they make the, the outer surface of the bag on. So yeah, a lot of people think there are seeds or cones hanging from the trees. Mm-hmm. So you just should pick those off? Is that like the best bet at this time of year? That's, if you can reach them. Yeah. But unfortunately, a lot of times you get them, they're on real big trees. And if they're bad enough, you know, then we need to treat for them. But mm-hmm. yeah, physically picking them off and you'll see them late in the fall and in the winter time, it's good to pick off the bags and uh, put them in a plastic bag and seal them up and get rid of them. 
because I think the eggs can stay in those bags all winter long, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you yeah, don't want them to right, hatch right. the next spring and your problem becomes way worse. So, right. well, I know that Dick is going to stick around. I see we have a couple of questions about trees, uh, but for more information about Davy Tree and to ask what's going on with your trees, go to davy.com slash kdka. And don't forget, you can always call the experts at Davy Tree at 855-982-TREE. That's 855 855- 982-8733. All right. Thank you very much. We'll come back just a couple of moments. In the meantime, congratulations to Judy out of McDonald, the winner of that gift certificate from the good folks at Janoski's. We've got some questions coming up. We'll be talking to Linda and Ed in just a couple of moments. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, Dick Till still with us, uh, Davy Trees, and uh, we have got Jessica here today, and uh, Doug is enjoying the day off. The Organic Gardeners continues now on KDKA Radio. Next stop, Beaver, and uh, we're going to say hi to uh, Linda. Linda, how are you? Welcome to KDKA Radio. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing real good. How are you folks? Good. Um, I have a couple questions, please. Um, if you have the time. Two of them are about trees. Um, I have a, a redbud tree. It's about five, six years old, and it's about, I don't know, six foot tall. And we had some winds come through and broke off a branch. Well, I, I sawed the branch off, but the it, it looks like it's going to do okay, but do I need to put something on there, or do I just let it breathe? No, it's better just to leave it open. Just make sure it's a, a good cut right down to the branch collar. And I, well, I, I got it as smooth as I could. Okay, that's good. Yeah, and just leave it dry. And we found over the years when you seal it with the paint there, sometimes you'll seal in the moisture and promote decay. So it's better just to make that good, smooth cut and let Mother Nature do the rest. Okay. Um, and also, um, I feed the birds year-round. And... I've read recently that um, sunflower seed shells under trees have a chemical reaction where it will kill some of the trees? Well, it's called alleliopathy, and it's just basically compounds that are contained in the sunflower hulls that um, can inhibit the growth of certain plants. Um, Not all plants are susceptible to it. It's really not that big of a deal under a tree because a tree's root systems are is so extensive that even if you have a bird feeder under part of your tree, you'll probably notice the grass won't grow where all the sunflower seed hulls fall, or you might have you know some perennials or ground cover there that will die back. But for the most part, it's not really going to affect your trees at all. Th- those root systems are much too large for that. All right. Next up is Ed in McDonald, PA. Ed, how you doing? Good morning. Welcome to KDK Radio. Morning. Uh, weeping cherry and boxwoods. When do you do that? When do you do them? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you can do them right now. Um, this is a good time of year because most of the new growth is all expanded and hardened off. So this is a good time to do any kind of pruning or shearing on the boxwoods that you want to do. On the boxwoods too? Yep. Okay, yep. thank you very much. The weeping cherry, are we better off doing it in the dormant season for the weeping cherry? Um, ideally, but if if it's out of shape and you want to, you know, kind of contain it a little bit, um, it's you can do flowering cherries now. You know, there's only certain trees like 
the oaks and elms and ashes that you can't do during the growing season. Okay, you really want to wait to dormancy for those. I know on my boxwoods, I won't do any pruning on them much later than the end of July. And that's because what I find is if I prune much later than that, we have some growth that starts and that growth then is really susceptible to frost damage in the wintertime. And so then I'll have like all of the new growth will brown and die over the winter. But if I prune it, you know, earlier than July, before the end of July, then it has time to sort of toughen up and then it won't turn brown. Yeah, it won't turn brown through the winter. But even then, sometimes I do. I just, you know, if we have minus 20 degrees for a couple of weeks, you're going to have that browning. Um, If we have a more mild winter, then it's not as much of an issue. Right. Or Um, if if the cold wind blows and desiccates, sucks moisture out of it. Right, right. And it depends on how exposed the boxwoods are. You know, if you have a boxwood that's tucked really close to your house, it's a little bit more of a protected site. We definitely have a little less winter damage. Whereas if it's a boxwood that's kind of like out in the middle of the yard somewhere, Mm -hmm. really exposed to drying winds through the winter, that's when you tend to see the most winter damage. Um, Two, it depends on the variety of boxwoods. Some are hardier than others. And and that's people don't realize how many varieties of boxwood there are too. Yeah. Yeah. Now here's a question. I know we're almost out of time before this break, but um, the, the boxwood uh, blight, have you seen it here yet in Pennsylvania? Yep. Have you? Boxwood oh, blight. And there's also the psyllid, boxwood psyllid that gets in the leaves. There's boxwood leaf miner. There's mites. Like, yeah. A lot of times people want to plant boxwoods. I try to yeah. dissuade them and think of something else. I plant. love them, though, because the deer don't uh, eat them. <laughs> Everybody so loves that, them. That's what makes them good for me because, uh, you know, there's so few shrubs anymore that don't get nibbled by the deer. So I, yeah. I do try to pick them and I recommend them a lot, but there are a lot of pest and pathogen issues to worry and those, about. You know, the uh, convex hollies look somewhat like the boxwoods there. So if people want that look and, you know, a manicured hedge and so forth, sometimes we'll, you know, tell them to plant those convex hollies. Do the deer eat them? Uh, no, they don't bother them too much. Okay. I mean, you know, if they get hungry. Are you talking about inkberry holly? Yeah. They, okay, because I've never heard them referred to as convex holly. Yeah. That's cool. They're like a smooth leaf. They're actually beautiful plants. Right, right. And they do make that nice thick hedge. That's a very good mm-hmm. thought. I'm going to have to remember that. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dick, as You're always. Welcome. And remember, the organic gardeners always aim to teach you how to create a safer place to garden and a better place to live.